0: Since we're going to wrap up, obviously our Thursday night preview, give our picks, give our selections in relation to it. It feels unfair to pick on Greg and ask him for his pick there. Uh, but before we do, and before we get to wrapping up that, we have another guest on this evening, uh, Connor Rogers from Pro Football Focus and NBC Sports. Uh, Connor, you've been on with us a couple of times before. Connor, always great to have you on, man. How are you keeping? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Always great to be on with you. How are you? <laughs> we are we're still struggling connor we're still struggling to understand how the packers are three and four and the bloody giants are six and one like i mean the nfl is always full of surprises and shocks as you know better than most i know
1: it really is the uh the vibe here in new york new jersey the tri-state area is a little different with the jets and giants being feisty this year i have to admit yep definitely
0: New Jersey've got two good teams and even New York have one with Buffalo Bills which I always say just to wind up Brian <laughs> <with the> in relation
2: <laughs> Connor I, I suppose look we were always delighted to have you on but we're welcoming you to the show when your jets have a, a winning record and obviously uh, you know um, it's plenty of excitement I interested. Obviously, really disappointed to see Brees Hall go down after the explosive play. I mean, hey, I'm a Broncos fan, and even I could appreciate what he did against us. You're, like, in terms of the offense, and, and probably Brian might come to, to the defense, but in terms of what the Jets have been able to to do on offense, because from 5,000 miles away i can say the qb play hasn't hasn't you know set the world alight but yet the, the jets have found a way to to score points that plenty of other teams across the league haven't
1: they really have they've been able to build an offense based on the run game and it's not just turn around and hand the ball and run right through the a gap every single time it's a creative run game there's a lot of misdirection there's a lot of jet motion. They get their wide receivers involved in a lot of different ways. It's not just the reverses and the fake reverses, but Corey Davis is a top three blocking wide receiver in the NFL. And he's another guy that's unfortunately banged up. So the jets are going to have a lot of adjustments to make as they take on new England and a huge game for them, where you look at them coming into the season, the jets win total was set at five and a half guys. It's we're not through October and they have five wins. So They've definitely surprised a lot of people. And like you said, they are doing it in an unconventional way in 2022, where not much is asked of Zach Wilson. Sure, he went out and won them the game in the fourth quarter against the Steelers. He played clean, sound football against Miami. But he never looked comfortable against Green Bay and did not look comfortable at all against Denver. And at the end of the day, they didn't really need him to do much to win those games. So it's kind of crazy, and it's a big tip of the cap to the young offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, who, if that was a challenge to him, the challenge just got a lot harder because they lost their best offensive lineman, Elijah Vera Tucker, for the year with the tri- torn triceps, uh, somebody I've called their best player for the last year and a half, and they lost Brees Hall, who hits home runs as well as anybody in the league already. So this offense is going to have to make some really tough adjustments, and at the end of the day... They're going to have to ask Zach Wilson to do more, and maybe that's not dropping back and taking your shots down the field over and over again, but it might be a combination of not only more dropbacks, but getting the run game involved as well. We just watched Justin Fields run all over this New England defense. I'm not expecting Zach Wilson to do that, but we know the kind of athleticism that he possesses to at least pose a threat of the run.
3: Connor, when we had you on uh, leading up to the draft last April, you were convinced that Sauce Gardner was going to end up in New York and it could... You would be my Giants, so your are Jetson as it happens. Well, we may not have seen Derek Stimney going at number three, bearing in mind his injury, but from what you've seen so far, is he ahead of schedule? He's playing really well, and everybody's talking about him. Is he what you expected to see so early in his NFL career?
1: He's better than I thought, and that's crazy to say because he's somebody that I evaluated Sauce as the best corner in the draft, Uh, by a pretty good margin. I thought he was the guy, if anyone was going to take a corner in the top five, he was the only one that you'd do it for. I compared him to more of a plus James Bradbury, not James Bradbury, but a better version, because when you look at their measurables, there's not a lot of guys in the league, there's really nobody in the league, that have their kind of length and their ability to cover that kind of ground uh, using that length and playing the ball in the air while being physical at the line of scrimmage. And Sauce looks like a top... Eight corner in the NFL already, not rookie corner, a top eight corner in the NFL already. He just won defensive uh, defensive player of the week, I believe. And he is on a fast track to uh, being the far and away front runner for defensive rookie of the year. And he's changed the entire Jets defense. This is a group that was horrible last year. They were right at the bottom of the league in multiple categories. Uh, they were injured up front. They didn't have the talent on the back end. And his ability to blanket top receivers, as we saw, Cortland Sutton's a great player. And Cortland Sutton um, has been very consistent this year out of a Denver offense that has lacked that consistency. And Sauce went toe-to-toe with him. So he's completely changed what Jeff Ulbrich and Robert Sala have been able to do. He's improved the metric of of takeaways that they were, once again, not good in at all last year. And I think his presence has kind of galvanized this defense a little bit as well.
0: (sighs) Connor, we're going to try a new philosophy on the show that we only talk about teams if they've got at least three wins. Uh, it might make talking about the like Wembley it. game a bit difficult, uh, but um, it does mean philosophically we should be able to talk about the better teams in the league more. And it will be it's incumbent upon me to raise with you that the rich tonight just got richer with the Eagles being announced, obviously, with their trade for Robert Quinn, which we kicked off the show just briefly touching about. But... You know, not only does the deal seem like a bit of a steal, considering the Bears are going to pick up the salary, but in terms of the impact Quinn can have in what's already a pretty damn good Philly defense, to say the least. I mean, what's your take on this trade, and how much more does it give Philly in terms of optionality in what's already a pretty good season?
1: This is a big move to me. I looked at the Eagles as a team that had to go out and get another edge pass rusher. And a couple of people have kind of batted an eye when I say that. But when you look at their roster and what they've done this year, while also winning every single week and having a great defense and having a run heavy, uh, efficient, super clean offense, where Jalen Hurts looks even much improved from last year, he, he really has taken huge strides since being drafted by them. They just needed another pass rusher up front that maybe has a pro presence. And what I mean by that is, who can close you, who can close out games in the second half? The Eagles play with the lead all the time. Who's the guy that can pin his ears back, rush wide, uh, bend off the edge, and make things happen? And I know Quinn, coming off the 18-and-a-half sacks last year, has not produced even close to that trajectory this year. But it's still there on tape. He's still a good player. I think the problem is for the most part, besides that pass rushers, all great pass rushers, tend to run hot and cold, is that Chicago doesn't play with the lead a lot and isn't in position to let him kind of pin his ears back and go. And that's not an excuse for him. I don't think he's been the same player we saw last year, but that doesn't mean he's not an effective one. And when you look at the Eagles, who, while on a snap count, Jordan Davis has been very effective as a rookie. They have Josh Sweat. They have an older Brandon Graham. They have a defensive line that's good. But they really needed that closer off the edge that can finish out games like that. So I like this deal a lot for them. It cost them a day three pick. Like you said about making the financial aspect work work it as well. And I think Quinn is going to get right back on track playing for a contender.
2: Connor, maybe if we stay in the the NFC north, but with the the team that sit atop it, the the Vikings who have had moments in in each game where they've been the Vikings, right? They've looked incredibly impressive, then they've looked wobbly. But this year under Kevin O'Connell, they have found ways to win that maybe under Zimmer they didn't. Now, we saw them um, come to to London and afterwards it was interesting because Jefferson was at the podium and he talked and O'Connell talked, they talked a lot about Leadership And the way and, and about him becoming a leader and about him not showing his emotions. And it was the same weekend where KJ Hamler had his moment in uh, the end zone at the end of that Broncos game. And I, I'm just thinking for, from your perspective, when you look at, at the Vikings and, and what they have been able to do, how, how, sus- how sustainable is their, their win toll? They're, they're impressive at the moment, but is, is, it, is it more, is it luck or, or is it skill? You know what? It's not
1: a fraudulent record, and I, I say that as somebody that was not extremely high on the Vikings coming into the year, but now do I think they lose two to three games this year? No, they'll lose more games than that, but they run the ball, guys, and that is sustainable in the NFL. When you look at Kirk Cousins this year, besides the only loss to Philadelphia, and everybody's looked bad against Philadelphia— he just hasn't had that bad game, that back-breaking game, where you look at it and go, man, he threw away the game, or he's not hitting any throws. Or The balance of running and passing has put Kirk Cousins in a position to succeed under Kevin O'Connell, who came from the Rams last year, and they ran the most 11 personnel in the league by a wide margin. They put three wide receivers on the field, in very simple terms, by a wide margin. And O'Connell came to the Vikings with an offensive philosophy that transitioned well. The fact that they know how to develop the run from wide receiver heavy sets or actual heavy sets with more tight ends, more offensive linemen, and more running back power. So their balance is very key to this offense being efficient. The defense has surprised me, especially the pass rush. It just seems like they have all things clicking on that front as well. So the Vikings, while you look at the wins and go, yeah, sure. They they took care of business in their division with Chicago and Detroit, which we don't expect much from. They did beat Green Bay week one. They beat the Saints in a close game. But they, they are undoubtedly taking care of business week in and week out where it's hard to sit there and call them a pretender anymore, especially when you look at the other side of the coin of how disappointing Green Bay has been.
3: Connor, this weekend the Giants and the Seahawks is the only game this weekend where two teams with a winning record. I don't think anybody at the start of the season would have believed that. But the two GMs were very consistent in the off-season. They said all their rookies are going to have to contribute this season. And Seattle, with Kenneth Walker, I know Geno Smith is getting all the. I suppose all the, the highlights, but Kenneth Walker in the last two games has been really stand there, and bearing in mind Penny's gone down for the season, how impressive has he been? Is he living up to the expectation that you were to talk going into the, into the draft last
2: April?
1: Absolutely, and their entire rookie class has been a smash hit, guys. Charles Cross has played a really good left tackle. Abe Lucas has played a good right tackle. You don't see a lot of teams in the NFL come out of the gate and say, we're going to start rookies on each side of the offensive line and they have, and credit to them, it's worked. They are developing at a high rate. I didn't think Gabe Lucas was ready to play. Credit to that offensive staff for having him ready to go. Cross looks great. Geno has thrived in a play-action offense, throwing the ball downfield, making some big-time throws, and the reason that play-action offense works is because of the running threat they have behind Geno Smith, and which is now, like you said, Kenneth Walker, who is elusive. He's got a thick build where tacklers can bounce off him. We've seen breakaway speed that he didn't always have in college. He didn't have this level of breakaway speed where uh, he could rip off the big ones as well. He had big plays in college. But when I watched him, I didn't think he'd be a home run hitter at the NFL level. He looks amazing after losing a lot of his summer to injury with the hernia. And then you look deeper in their draft. Tariq Woolen's been excellent at corner for them. So the Seahawks just had this wild draft for them that Not only have they solved so many needs and punched above their weight class game after game and put all of those guys in position to succeed, but it's helped Geno Smith look like a franchise quarterback. So everything is trending upwards for Seattle right now.
0: Connor, this is obviously our Thursday night football preview show. And we were just talking with Greg Orman from the Tampa Bay perspective, a little bit about their struggles, the offense just not clicking at the moment, and relation, and obviously a very surprising loss at the weekend but equally when we turn our attention to the Ravens it's very hard for them to hold on to a lead it seems I mean they just about escaped throwing another one away at the weekend as you're so deeply involved in analyzing not just the teams but the individual players all the way through with your work with PFF and NBC Sports like what's some of the underlying storylines maybe not the most obvious ones that you're seeing coming into this Thursday night matchup
1: it's a great question I think the Inconsistency of Rashad Bateman's health has been a problem for Baltimore. I think when you draft a wide receiver in the first round, you expect him to be your number one guy and then a year later you trade your really only consistent threat at wide receiver in Hollywood Brown, putting even more weight on that player's shoulders, that's fine if you're right. And Bateman's a solid player, but he has not stayed healthy and I think not staying healthy has not allowed him and Lamar Jackson to develop the kind of rhythm that they need. So The big storylines in this game are injuries. Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman did not practice to start this week. If those guys can't go, Baltimore is in big trouble. Now, I'm assuming Andrews is going to be up for this game. He didn't have a catch last week, which is very uncharacteristic for a player of his caliber. But when you look at Lamar completing nine passes last week for 120 yards, and it's not like he ran for over 100 yards. He actually ran for under 60 I don't look at that and say, man, Lamar's got to get it going. Greg Roman has to get it going, but with what? What? What is the uh, point of attack for this offense? And Tampa Bay has looked so bad recently that you look and go, maybe Lamar could just play backyard football in this one, and that'll be enough. That's how bad Tampa's looked. But an angry Tom Brady has to scare you. This, this feels like a winner go home game for Tampa Bay right now, which is insane to say before Halloween. So... When I look at the Ravens and this game on Thursday Night Football, I'm looking at the injury reports and thinking, man, that can dictate a lot. And it's really hard to pick against the Bucks when their backs are entirely up against the walls. And this is the worst we've ever seen that.
2: Connor, um, I suppose there was a lot of talk in the off season about the AFC West and about um, the strength of that division, and as about the Chargers, but. Um, let's ignore the bad and let's focus on the good, the the Chiefs. Um, Once again, the the pretenders have fallen by the wayside and Mahomes and Andy Reid, they lose Tyree Kill, they just find new ways to to do it. Like, are we just so accustomed to Mahomes doing Mahomes-type things that it were just blasé? Because all the talk about the MVP this season. There's there's not a whole lot about Mahomes. It's it's about others. And it's not just because we have just become accustomed to, uh, like, it's third and seven. Uh, the Chiefs are going to get this.
1: I think you're right. I think we got to a point where people had Mahomes fatigue, I, which doesn't make sense to me. He's one of the most exciting players I've ever watched in, in my time watching the NFL. And he's in his 20s, and we should cherish this and enjoy it. And for whatever reason, everybody instead kind of shrugged their shoulders and went, what is this offense going to be without Tyreek? Are the Chiefs going to be contenders? Sure, they lost to Buffalo in the regular season, but the Chiefs were, dra- and were not Super Bowl favorites coming into the year, not even close. Buffalo was significantly ahead of them. I think the Bucs were ahead of them as well. So I-, I think people did get bored with this team. I think they wanted to see... Can this be an offense that distributes the ball to a wide variety of targets? And when you look at the numbers, that the answer is, is pretty clear that it's yes. I mean, Travis Kelsey has over 550 receiving yards. Mar- uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has 369 receiving yards. Juju Smith-Schuster has almost 500 res- receiving yards. Nicole Hardman has over 200 receiving yards. Like This is a, an offense that is effective in a lot of different ways It can attack you And they are proving once again that they don't need to develop this crazy run game to get going. I think, you know, somebody like me looked at it like they invested all these resources in the offensive line. They let Tyree Kill go. Are they going to start to gravitate to be a more balanced team and get Clyde Edwards-Alaire going? Remember, they took him in the first round. So, you know, the belief in him was super high. They like Isaiah Pacheco. They love Jarek McKinnon, especially in the red area. I thought this would be a team that might look to run the ball more, but... At the end of the day, when you have Patrick Mahomes, don't overthink it. He's already got over 2,000 yards, 20 touchdowns to five interceptions. So, obviously, still making big plays with about nine yards per attempt. Uh, I I mean, what else do you need to see from the Chiefs? They're going to be in a lot of big games. They're going to be in a lot of big games this year. And it's hard for me, despite them even losing to Buffalo, to pick against Mahomes in that moment.
3: Connor, I have to ask you about my team's quarterback, Daniel Jones, because the last time you were on, you, I suppose you went against the pale. You said if an, if a good head coach comes in and proper offensive line, we will see the potential that this guy has. And a lot of people at this stage have given up on him, essentially. But this season, we're seeing it's reflective of what you said at the time. As the season progresses and where they're at, and potentially the likelihood to win more games, taking themselves out of the draft picture potentially come April, will they, Will we see a hometown discount in terms of a contract? Because they are going to be trying to sign another uh, player in Saquon Barkley.
1: I'm fascinated by this one because, I mean, for me, not even the biggest Jones pre-draft believer as a, a top 10 pick. That was always going to be rich. I think this guy needed a lot of time. And, I mean, let's be real. He's already had three years in the NFL. Like you said, a lot of people seem to be out on him. But it goes to show you what good coaching can do with raw talent. And Jones has raw talent. He's a great athlete. He's got enough arm strength and, and more importantly, uh, adequate accuracy. The thing that always needed to happen with Daniel Jones was the game needs to slow down for him. And that doesn't happen overnight. It really doesn't happen in the first two years. And the problem is, are you going to last long enough to give that opportunity for year three and four? And they didn't. Dave Gettleman got let go. Joe Judge got let go. The Giants' new regime did not pick up the fifth-year option on Daniel Jones. And now credit to Daniel Jones, who's proving everyone wrong. He's playing efficient football. He's playing within the offense. He's using his legs when he has to. They don't have playmakers at wide receiver. I know they want to get Wondell Robinson going, which is a good thing. That will help down the stretch now that he looks ready. But when you look at Daniel Jones, the question for me, guys, is, one, what you said. What's the price going to be? How do they evaluate Daniel Jones internally? Because if they thought he was a guy that gave them a chance in a two year window, you pick up that fifth year option and kick the can down the road. That's not something they opted to do. Now he's shown you on the field that he can win games, he can play within your offense, and he's getting better. And he's still a young guy, he's still 25 years old. So, how do you find the right contract terms that he's willing to accept to keep him around? Or are they a team that no matter what, they want to get their own guy in the draft and swing for the fences? The Giants are too good right now. The Gi- that, that dream is over, and I think that's, that's a good problem to have. The Giants are winning too many games. When you look at their schedule, they're going to win a lot more. And I think for Daniel Jones, a guy that's had a, a rocky road to start his NFL career because of the poor infrastructure that was there at the time, there should be some incentive to stay and figure out a way to stay. Brian Dable is a great coach. They have a good offensive staff. Like you said, they're finally getting some pieces on the offensive line. Andrew Thomas looks amazing, which is a huge, huge help. Daniel Jones' game as well. You can keep Saquon, who's one of the best weapons in the NFL. There should be mutual int- interest now to keep him long term. <sighs> I
0: think Brian has just clipped your Andrew Thomas looks amazing line there, Connor, and is going to play that back to a certain number of people quite a few times. Look, if Daniel Jones, Brian, has fixed all of you know the issues in terms of the fumbling and the securing of the ball, the only thing that can stop him now is an open field with absolutely nothing around him, because that seems to be his kryptonite, uh, as he proved He's the game the weekend. Um, so just don't let him run free. Connor, uh, we're gonna gonna go move on to to wrapping up Thursday Night Football with our picks. But wanted to thank you yet again for joining us. Really appreciate your time as always. For anybody looking to check out Connor's stuff, you, he's got fancy covered along with Matt Berry at NBC Sports uh, with Pro <laughs> Football Focus there as well. And on Twitter, I think it's at Connor J Rogers, If I have that right, Connor. Um, so follow him for all the great insights he brings from all the various uh, strands that you're involved in Connor thank you once again man really appreciate it
1: guys thanks so much always a pleasure talking to you Uh, love the show love what you do and and we'll catch up soon thanks
2: so much